Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest is Mackenzie Coons. She founded and runs Stilts Design, which is a design studio that specializes in branding and web design. We had a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I give you Mackenzie Coons. Mackenzie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I should say, in this instance, I'm not just the podcast host. I'm also a client. I'm a cl- I've been a client of yours, mm-hmm. of Stilts Design. Yep. And Stilts Design is a company that you gave birth to and are, can I say, sole proprietor? Sure. That's like, it sounds like um, such an old school word, word like sole proprietor, but I like it's very classy. It's official. Old school class. So you're the sole proprietor and you do, des- it, you, it's Stilts Design and you work with people to do design work in expression of their brand or, or to yeah. bring expression to the brand. Like I think on the, a good way of putting it. on the Canva website, right? It says that design is the silent ambassador of your brand. Mm-hmm. That means all the designs you do are silent, right? They, you don't do talking. they're all just still still life yeah but so so you work with mostly small businesses right like mostly yep you haven't worked with like ibm or no apple (laughs) i'd imagine that would be not super innovative at this point i mean they have everything pretty much that they need and it's just following the rules that they already set in place so that's not as attractive to me now. So what, tell me like, where does the branding process, it's interesting this term brand, like, cause I learned that it, it started kind of the 1950s when brands like name brand products were experiencing this reality where people could come up with products that performed similarly, like whether it was detergent or soup so that companies had to think, well, how do we make an emotional connection? How do we make mm-hmm. a sort of emotional, psychological connection with the consumer so that they don't just say, well, this is a little cheaper, so it's, why not? I mean, it's probably just as good, right? So mm-hmm. so then, yeah. I mean, that was something that was sort of started by large corporations to kind of, I mean, you think of the madman era and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's something that is ubiquitous. I mean, have people talk about their personal brand and branding, then they brand themselves and, you know, what's your brand, my brand, you know. How's your brand coming? You don't you don't want to mess up your brand. So it's like this ubiquitous <laughs> term, right? Uh, mm-hmm. where, which is sort of something, I guess, like your expression of like who you are, what you do, you know, that uh, as as somebody who is working, engaging the world. So where does the brand begin begin or, or leave off and design begin? Like when you work with a client, how much do they have to be aware of what their brand already is mm-hmm. to work with you? Like what? Do you, what generally do is there a bare minimum that they've got to know, or do you do you help them tease it out? Like, what's the process look like? That's a good question. So, with small businesses who usually don't think about this on a normal basis, um, I usually have to draw it out of them. But what, 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 are, what are they thinking on a normal basis? Like, are they like are they just thinking, mm-hmm. hey, I got a website? Is it just like a phone book? Yeah. Hey, I got a website. People will find me. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, they'll come up with things as they go and things don't need to have a a 
purpose or they don't need to fit with the mission. They just, they just need to be easy and make sense at the time. So you have businesses that are just kind of throwing things all over the place that don't really make sense or follow any kind of rule. So, so they have, um, what I don't do is tell them what their brand is. They have to know that. They have to know the visual language or the mission behind their brand. And I represent that through design. So if they know their brand well, then I can do my job better. But if they don't, then um, I just have to, I have to draw it out of them and kind of make them rethink it a little bit more. And maybe they establish it through the process, but it's their doing, not mine. Do you enjoy that? I, like, do you enjoy that, that process? I, I do. And I think I enjoy I th- exposing the power of the design through the process. I think the branding is a huge part of it. Um, businesses understanding their brand, but I like showing them how powerful design can be. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, design, I mean, I think it, it's so, it's one of those things that so shapes our world that we almost don't think about. I mean, I, I guess, like, you think about it when it's breathtakingly good <laughs> or disturbingly bad, mm-hmm. right? Like, when you, you see a building that just, like, doesn't fit the landscape or you <laughs> see, you, you see a, like, you walk in this shop, like, my wife refuses to go into the car center. Cause she just thinks it's the worst. She's like, you know, that creepy guy, like, you're in high school, and, and they just like hung out in their parents' basement all the time. It was awful, and it fell off, and it smelled weird, and did it. She's like, that's that guy made a reach out to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and so that's, I mean, so you know it. You, so like, you know the extreme side, but, but you don't capture the subtle ways in which so much of your sensory experience in the world is shaped moment Mm. by moment right by design yeah yeah so so this is like so it seems like what you do would exist on a couple borderlines right like first off like the real what the relationship between art and design Mm -hmm. because i heard somebody once say that art poses questions and design solves them yeah. yeah. So the, like, there, yeah. there are things like art doesn't have to have a function other than to be experienced. I mean, you even think of it, even certain kind of high fashion, right? You see dresses mm-hmm. in high end fashion that will never be worn by anybody ever again. You know, it's, it has no social context it would fit. And it, there's no other, it's probably made for that model. It, it, mm-hmm. She's probably not going to wear it again, right? Whereas, whereas something design, <laughs> design is something that has to have utility. And yeah. yet the utility could eat it up. Mm-hmm. And it, and it could. I mean, a company like Google is much more conscious of this, right? They they're thinking more about that. They used to just think about engineering and code, and now they're thinking more like, oh, Apple thinks a lot about design. So, like, how do you negotiate the the line between art and design in your own work? Like, how does artistic expression and integrity meet mm-hmm. the needs of you know function? So. I never saw myself as a particularly creative or artistic person. I always kind of shied away from that. I liked kind of strict rules and kind of working within that. I liked knowing what was right and wrong. Um, Math, 
I used to like math for that reason. Um, so I, I was never drawn to art. And I never also saw myself as creative because of that. Up until recently when I was able to see the difference between art and design, that design was solving a problem. It was It's kind of like a, a formula that you have to solve. There's, these, there's this business that needs to accomplish these goals for these clients. And you have to make it appeal to them and also be creative and also be memorable and fit them well. You know, it was just, it's solving this equation. And and sometimes, you know, you, you just, there's creativity behind it, but it's also just like, there's an answer there and you're just trying to find it, basically. So I really liked knowing that, that it wasn't really about how artistic I could be. It was just about me meeting this need and solving this problem. And I really, I really love that. Do you think that the fact that you weren't trained in like visual or fine arts or something, is that, I mean, but you have a really good eye for design. I mean, like, I, like I've seen your work. I've you know, people that see this podcast, the podcast redesign of give and take have seen your work or have seen my website. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that your lack of formal artistic training, is that a liability or an asset or a little bit of both? I mean, how does that, like, how does that, you run up against that on a daily basis because you're doing a lot of artistic work, a lot of visual, creative, artistic work. I mean, do you, how do you, when you look back at your own training and education, do you think, okay, I wish I would have done this or actually maybe it was good that I came to it this way? Yeah, so I, when I very, like, very first started, would look at designers who kind of went to school for it and worked with design companies right off the bat. Um, I kind of envied them at first because they had this formal education and they could say that. So I think um, when I was less confident about it, I looked at that as a, a weakness. And the only weakness, I think it really, it set me back a little bit because I had to, I saved a lot of money because I can learn design on my own. And business is a huge part of it that they don't teach you in design school. You need to know design and how to run a business. But I think the biggest thing that it didn't, it set me back with was confidence just just not being able to say like people ask me all the time did you go to school for this no no i didn't i just learned clients ask you that when they're like vetting you not necessarily just people when i tell them what i do their first question all the time is did you go to school for it and and i say no but i wish you know that wasn't the first question they asked because it almost like kind of just ends the conversation Right there, as if like, you know, I'm not worthy to do this thing. Um, so that, that, I think that's, confidence. That's interesting that that that, that stops the conversation. I mean, because some people could think, well, no, no, I was self-taught, or I mean, what you know, like, I mean, some people might yeah. be that way. What, what do you think? What do you think makes the conversation stopper for you? Um. I don't. I think they're only asking that because they don't know what else to ask. <laughs> um, so I think for me, the conversation kind of just—I don't want to kind of go into my passion and kind of just lay it all out for them because I, I don't 
think they're super interested. I think that's just the habit that they're kind of formed. That's just kind of what they want to ask. Like that's the utilitarian, so. like what's your name, what you do. So that's what happens. Right, Sorry, that's say that again? That's the utilitarian, like we're kind of taught that, right? Like what's yeah. your name, what, what do you do? And that, it, yep. It's funny, like I sometimes like if I'm feeling really like cantankerous or mischievous, like at a party, I'll say, well, what's your story? Like, you know, like, because then it actually, they're, they, the person has to narrate for me. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, then I learn like how they see them. So, like, you know, they have to tell me how they reconstruct their life in the moment. Yeah. I like that. So we should just yeah. have a yeah. party because we know each other and we live in the same state. We should have a party. With- <laughs> Do you know the creative mornings is? Have you heard of this? It's, no. it's a movement that started in New York now. It's they have one in Philly and it's like one Friday a month. All these like creatives and entrepreneurs get together and have breakfast and they have a speaker and there's network, but your name tag, you, you have a name tag and put your name and answer a question. So the one, the one time, one time I heard it was, it was your name. And what would you do if you weren't afraid? Like start a business or ask this person out or, you know, so it's like they're right away. There's an existential. Yeah. Yeah. Of, that bent like to the interaction as opposed to this kind of yeah and and that was a huge thing too going back to um kind of some of the questions you're asking before about so there's this book that kind of changed my way of thinking about like art and design and and not necessarily being a creative person not knowing really how to get into this it's called the war of art by Stephen Pressfield and it's just kind of for people who really care about something it really breaks down that barrier between this thing that you love and you need it to be perfect and just doing it and just like if you're if you're afraid that that's a good sign that means you care about it but at the same time you just have to do it or else you'll never do anything if you're waiting for the right moment to do something so I think for me that was the biggest part of starting this too, is not knowing what it was going to be, not wanting to fail because that was, you know, my biggest fear in life is just committing to things because I know at some point I'm going to fail at something. So I'd always kind of stop before that happened. So I knew that starting this business, I couldn't just stop. So I knew I'd have to experience failure at some point and I had to be okay with that. And I think that was the biggest, like, I mean, it's cha- it's completely changed my life up to this point because I would have never done half of the things that I've done now if I hadn't been for just starting this business and kind of just being vulnerable and putting myself out there creatively and financially and all of that. Do you know who loves that book, The War of Art? Who? Howard who? Stern. Does he? Does yeah, he? he talks about that book a lot. That he says that that, that helped him a ton. Not and mostly he, he, like in private pursuits, like he lo- like his hobbies, like photography and drawing yeah. and things. Yeah. Like that. But then it, it has bled into his own work life. So what has the been the? How long has Stilts Design been in existence? So I started working on it last August. So it's been a year since I like since the idea came to fruition, and then I think January is when I was when I finished my website and kind of started going public with it. So it's been public since January. What's been the biggest setback? Biggest setback. 
I think client management. I think like managing clients was something I had no idea how difficult that was going to be. And you you learn through those bad clients and that's that's how you that's where you learn the most about business and and how to do better and how to refine your process better is is through those bad clients and I had a friend who um she's doing something different with her photography business and she is kind of she's looking at it like a martyr situation she wants like the worst client possible because she knows she's going to learn the most so she's kind of like willingly taking that on um, at first, I, I wanted everything to be perfect. I didn't want any client to feel weird about something or have a miscommunication, which happened a lot in the beginning. And um, I, I was terrified of that, so I avoided it at all costs. But in looking back on it, it taught me the most. What has been like some of the challenges in client management? Are people just... Do you... Are people just not they have a problem conceptually getting the process is it just general like people issues or is it kind of trying to be artful when someone is sort of self-sabotaging their own brand i i think it's a combination of a lot of things but i think one big thing is people don't understand how creative businesses work so there's this fear on the client side like what am I really paying you for? Am I just paying you for to, to think or like what am I paying you for the actual work, the design work? Like what what's happening here? And they and I think a lot of creative businesses damage that persona of designers too, because I think a lot of people um just came out as designers and, and you see like not to bash them but you see print shops that offer design services and so people expect it to be this like kind of really quick like I'll just throw something together for you in a second um, I think that's what they, they they see design as a commodity as like um, it, it's just it doesn't really have depth or meaning it's just this aesthetic thing that I can purchase but for me it it's a process and it's it's solving a problem and it's it's having all the pieces line line up and it takes time and thought and a little bit of magic it just kind of you just kind of have to let it work and i just don't think the average business owner understands that and i think that scares them so i think that mis miscommunication and me not maybe explaining my processes thoroughly in the beginning when I started was just set it up for failure because they expected to m me to be like that printer who just the the or the the vinyl graphic guy that will put signs on your car and I cared far more about it than that I wanted it to mean something I wanted it to change their their business changed their world and they didn't they didn't understand that i want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question do you like this podcast do you enjoy it do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning afternoon or evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught frustrated in traffic do you tune into it 
because of the conversations you find here. Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, and David Zoll. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. And, and it's hard, though, because on one level, it is a commodity, right? It's at least, it is on the line of art and commerce. Is, is mm-hmm. the problem, like, less commodity, or they don't understand what the commodity is? <laughs> I mean, because you think about, like, a, like a, a Lexus... Um, RF and a Honda Lyft, right? They're similar vehicles. They do about the same thing. Like you, you put a, some people and some stuff and get from point A to point B in them. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. is exponential more, if four times you know the the price, and people pay it because mm-hmm. of design. <laughs> I mean, because of the way it yeah. feels, certain maybe status, maybe just persistence of quality, and and like I mean. I don't know that it's, you know, uh, I don't know that it's four times the, if you add up the sum of the parts, if it's four times the value, but the design and the brand makes it four times the value. And people don't see it as outrageous. People that have the yeah. means don't feel ripped off when they choose uh, the, the RF over the lift. Yeah. 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 I, I heard, I don't know the quote off the top of my head, but. Um, it was something about design being just uh, design being perceived value. It's it's all about how that makes you feel, and, and not necessarily what it can do versus something else in comparison, but just how you perceive it to be valuable. So, to, like you know, there's businesses like Nature's Promise who uses products from all over but to some you know they they're organic so they they have some kind of their brand has some kind of weight but they have people just kind of slapping their logo on all sorts of different kinds of products coming from anywhere they're not necessarily from nature's promise but you see that and and it holds some kind of value to you um whether it is any more valuable or not that is beside the point sometimes yeah and and i wonder how much because like you know you, you're running a business right and so and you have a business background right and so it's, you know the customer's always right kind of thing in the service industry mm-hmm. and yet no one would go to a doctor like that right oh well what do you think you have and what do you want okay i'll write you a script you know what i mean like despite the fact that our country has 
that pharmaceutical companies actually advertise that way. Mm-hmm. Don't ask your doctor about this for, <laughs> you know, this, those commercials yeah. are so weird. But you, I mean, you're an act. I mean, you are, are selling expertise. Mm-hmm. And so at what point, how do you work with a client, create a sense of satisfaction, you know, in the client or try to facilitate that? And yet also don't acquiesce in the sense of mm-hmm. like, how do you be an expert when they're paying you for something that is different than what a dentist or a doctor, you know, or, you know, a plumber does, you know, like where you're like, you know, like yeah. there's a different kind of yeah. expertise, right? Because their subjective reception of the work matters, even if it's yeah. less than informed, right? Like, I mean, sometimes, you know, the, like, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that like if somebody, like somebody said, like, if you're judging, when you look at like a great piece of art, it's judging you sometimes as much as you judge it. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. if you're, oh, yeah. Mona Lisa, you know, whatever. So how do you negotiate that tension without being like, you know, if you're an artist, you can kind of, you can be eccentric and a jerk and, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but, but how, how do you do that? Because you got to get paid. Yeah. So yeah, I've taken on a, a few jobs that I wasn't super passionate about because I knew I could do the work, but it ended up, they didn't necessarily trust my design as expertise, like maybe in a website design and they kind of ran the show and I end up just kind of building what they tell me to do and and deep down I know like it's not a good idea but I just kind of have to do it and that kills my soul but I think the the best clients where I think we come up with the the best the best design at the end is is when they trust me I think trust is a huge thing and and that's partly on my end for instilling that trust in them letting like allowing them to trust me showing them why they should trust me and it's constantly me having to prove myself which is terrible from I mean as an introvert who just doesn't want to have to do that at all I have to do that every day um I've gotten used to it and I don't mind it as much anymore but do you I just take to, like tequila to shots before you meet the client yeah. like, all right hi I'm 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 this yeah, exactly. right now Tell me about you. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so it's it's giving them all the tools that they need in order to work with me. And so so I'm responsible for some of that. But even even when I do my due diligence on that end, it's not always guaranteed that that client is going to trust me. And when they still sign up to work with me without that trust, it's... It, it can be a really difficult process um, that I know we're not going to come out at the end with, with something that's fantastic. They might, we might come out with something that they're satisfied with and that's fine, but I know it could be better and that's difficult. Do you feel like your age, I mean, you're a millennial, you're in your twenties, you're in your mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's an asset or liability? I mean, I can say, like, my guess is most of your clients are older than you. Yeah. Some significantly yeah. so, some not. Like, so mm-hmm. is there something like, hey, the young people know the branding thing? 
like, or, or is there, or is it more like, hey, well, kid, what do you know? You're a kid. How are you? I'm in, I've been in business. I mean, or is, is there some of both? I mean, how do you, like, how does that tension, is there a tension that plays out? Yeah, I, I'm still figuring that out. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. And I also think that with communication, um, just the different genders communicate differently. So when I have male clients, not always, but sometimes they communicate um, either like too direct, they're just very uh, harsh, or or they're like kind of beating around the bush and not telling me what I need to know in order to do my job. Um, where as I think my female clients just we just kind of communicate a little easier it seemed so far so that's been that's been a challenge is just when someone communicates in a different way than you you still have to work together and achieve this end goal and so so that I think and I don't know yeah most of my clients have been older so they either, I guess they either trust me or they don't with my age. So that, so it can go both ways because they either see me as a new business owner in my mid twenties and think like they can get away with a lot more because they're business too. And they're, they're kind of, you know, if you show a little bit of weakness, like they'll just eat that up. And I've learned that the hard way. Um, and I haven't met, had many younger clients except one right now. And she completely, I think we're like completely on the same wavelength. She respects my process entirely. And um, I think that's different too, is uh, having a process that I, I think works well for my business. And then you have other business owners coming in that are like, screw that process. Like I want to, I want to, like I do business too. So can you just get me this, this? like, and do it this way. And I have to decide in the beginning, I had to decide, well, do I compromise on this and just try and get this client or do I stick to my guns? And, um, that was, that was even showing the weakness because if I just stuck to my process in the beginning, when I first started, then they would have respected me more, but I let them run the show and they didn't necessarily trust me to just guide them because they were coming to me for business. So, you know, but they kind of took the control back. And so that was really confusing for me. And I had to learn how to deal with that. And now, you know, I'm figuring it out. But that was, that was Do you weird. think that the client that's a peer is some of it that brand is so ubiquitous or ubiquitous as a concept and it's all around us and people have the sense that they're, they're, they're putting out their brand. We, we just use that term in, mm-hmm. in, in, in so often it's so common as opposed to decades ago, like it's mad men. It's a certain group of people using it so that people that have come up and see that brand as not just something that Campbell soup does or Apple does, but that they're doing all the time, you know, like everybody, so many people have a website if they're doing anything, you know? And, and so is yeah. that some of it that, that, that they, uh, that people who are millennials maybe see, the branding process all the time because they're experiencing it. They're, you know, this is the first generation that's grown up with social media forming them. So you're putting out a certain form of a brand and aesthetic mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that has been a barrier between 
me and a lot of the people I've worked with. And just the just in the fact too that they don't see quite the value of it um, the way that they probably should, or the value that like bad logo design can have on their business. Like when you have a poorly designed logo, what is that saying about your business? And and to have to explain that to someone where where they don't just know, like you can't really can't really teach someone that. I mean, you can, but it, it's a hard sell. Because if they don't already know, then it's really hard to, to kind of unveil that to them because they think it's fine. Um, and so their their quality is just kind of, their, their standard is immediately just far lower. So selling, selling the importance of design and having a strong, well-designed brand is extremely difficult when people don't really see the immediate benefits of it or it hasn't been proven to them yet. I think my generation just knows, I think, the values of aesthetic. Just, just I think that's just the world we live and in. And the emotional right creation just, it creates, the psychological power. So what are the, what are like one or two brands and expressions that you feel most emotionally connected to? That you, you know, well, I mean, just as a consumer. So like specific brands or just kind of styles. I'm thinking specifics, like specific brands that you're like that you know have made an emotional connection, and you have a sort of loyalty connection because of that. Hmm. Yeah, oh, they're everywhere. You're surrounded by them. Like this candle. It's by Illum, I think, but it's just a simple like. It always has like kind of natural fragrances and it's just always the design is simple so I want to display it in my house and things like that that you can kind of be proud to have I think I think that's a big part of product sales today is people want to buy things that that they're proud to have around um and and that could even just be as simple as the package design it doesn't even have to be the product doesn't even have to be good you just have to be excited about the package it's in. Um, so, oh man, I know that there's brands. What about like Target? Because I know you're a Target shop. Yeah, so Target doesn't necessarily have, I mean, they have their house brand, but like this, that candle's from Target. Um, so, like, I can't think of any other actual brand names off the top of my head, but. I know they're there's there. There's so many of them. There is. So if somebody is, so a lot of people that listen to this, or some have their own podcast and probably have not thought, or would like to think more about branding, they'd like to grow their audience, they'd like to, or people that have websites or blogs or, you know, and businesses, things like that. Like, so just like real quick, like, what's the process like from step A to finish? Like, they connect with you, like, what, what would they expect? So... I start by, I mean, we just have a brief phone call. I just get to know kind of what they're looking for and a little bit about. And they could be anywhere, right? Toledo, Ohio, San Francisco, because the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So I get like a brief background. And then um, when I find out what they need, I'll send, you know, a quote over. If it's, you know, if we want to move forward together, then... I'll send over a questionnaire that I sent you one. It's like it's like mash.com. Do we want to go on a second date? Like we, 
Yep. Basically. So, and it, it just kind of asks more narrow questions that they might not have thought about before, but can, instead of explaining their business to me, like they would explain it to everybody else. I, I need to know it deeper than that because I need to represent it. I need to know it as well as they know it. And almost for a, a season, you're their spokesman. Because I mean, visually, you're their yeah. visual spokesperson. Yeah. So that questionnaire kind of guides me to some really direct questions. And, and I think one of the questions is like, oh, what if your brand had a personality? Like if it was a person, what, what would it be like? Um, and for podcasters, that could just be them, you know. But as a business, that's a good question to ask, kind of putting your business kind of personifying it like that. Um, asking interesting questions can just kind of get people out of the norm and really get them to think outside. What if the client says bit? it would be Kim Jong-un? Are you like, different <laughs> pay. Hey, I, I, yeah, that sounds great. I'm yeah. not your person. Um, yeah, right. Now I need yeah. the money. Hey, no, look, no, I would, I'm I would. not judgmental <laughs> totalitarian regime. We've all got to have governmental systems. Some of them are going to be regime. You're running a totalitarian yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, coffee shop. It's fine. Some people want structure more than others. <laughs> um, yeah, so so once I get that back from them, and I've changed this process a little bit, but I, I did it with you similarly. But I, I take what they wrote and I kind of reformat it into a creative brief. So I kind of rewrite what they say so that they can hear my words back and make sure it sounds the same. Like they, they have to, we have to make sure we're on the same page before we go forward. And then I also give them a mood board that has images that kind of exude the same feeling that their brand will before I design it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. I think it's foreign for, for a lot of people to, they don't know what they're looking at. Like, no, are these the, is it going to look exactly like this? No, it, but it's going to feel, it's going to give the same feeling that this is. So that's a learning curve for some people to experience, but that's a fun, it's a fun thing to get and kind of experience your, and you experience your own brand in a completely different way because someone else is finding images for you that are kind of speaking to that brand. Um, and then I start with the design and I do a one logo approach, which some, not everyone does. Some people give three choices, but I give one and then there's two revisions on that logo. But I give one because when you're designing three separate logos, your ideas kind of like you kind of try and make your good ideas, you spread them out so that all the logos are like pretty good rather than making one really fantastic logo that has all of the elements it needs and does exactly what it needs to do. So, so I use that approach and then I present it using kind of mock-ups and, and ways that they can see it in real life context. And then, and then the rest of their brand elements as well. So with their typography and their colors, um, and it depends with you. I had like, I, I designed some cover art so it kind of all i, I showed you it all yeah and the website and, and the cover art together and everything everything sort of was organically mm -hmm. and also you had like an extensive questionnaire and i was like you know what could we just 
get on Skype and talk <laughs> about this as, yeah. as opposed to like me yeah. just writing all the answers down. And that, that was a really helpful process. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else, another client just wanted, asked if I would do the same thing for him. So it's some people just need to talk about it rather than write. Yeah. It and it was a great experience. Let me just say, I mean, I was really, it was fun actually. I, and I, I felt like that the end product expressed my own voice and sense of what I was doing much better than what I came up with on my own. Yeah. And I mean, me designing my own brand, I can say that it's really hard to design for yourself. Even if you can design, it's, it's really hard to step outside of it enough in order to be able to look at it with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. So uh, yeah, when you're, when you're deep in it, it's really hard. And to still, still it's design. You're giving stilts to like the little guy, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're give, like, giving yeah. people a leg up, like people that exactly. are not. Needs the, little, exactly. Needs a little, a little lift. Mackenzie, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for helping you, the role you played in helping the brand of this podcast be expressed. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Guys, pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give a, give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. And please, if you're someone that is figuring out the whole branding and web design connection, go to Stilts Design. Contact Mackenzie. She is the best of the best. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, fare thee well.